Hi, I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And we're two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. Come join us on our podcasting journey. Yes. So in this installment of Unproblematic, Kaylee and I will be talking about white saviorism and its portrayal through different forms of media. Yes. So getting started with our current reads and watches. Ariana, what are you reading and watching right now? Um, so I've been reading a little slower on Remembrance um, by Rita Woods, and I'm almost done with it, and it's pretty good, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a plot twist at the end, um, and pretty much it's just about three women that are from three different time periods, the 1700s, the 1800s, and like present day, um, and somehow they are interconnected with um, this town or this that's invisible to the outside world. It's called remembrance. And um, there's like a force field and like it's, it's the force field stays up by using voodoo. I, it's, I'm still not grasping. It flips a lot back and forth, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a plot twist. I mean, that's all I'm going to give because a lot of stuff happens um, within the book. And there's like a lot of characters um, and a lot of character development. But one thing that I'm currently watching is iCarly. And this is a throwback because I used to watch this all the time when it was on television. Um, but now it's added to Netflix. And the older seasons will be added to Paramount Plus, which I do not know. I don't think I'll be getting Paramount Plus because I don't need another <laughs> streaming service. Um, <laughs> what about you, Kaylee? Um, so I actually just finished a book today called Art and Faith by Makoto Fujimura. And it's by a Christian abstract artist. And it, it was really interesting. My dad um, loves Makoto. And so he bought this book for all four of us. Um, and it was it was really good. He incorporated a lot of different like writers and painters into his discussion of like what it would look like to create art for like the glory of God and not just like, you know, like a Christian themed art, but like actual art that like portrays like God's newness and God's creativity um so that has been a really good read so far and then I'm also reading Silence by Shisaku Endo which actually fits our theme today really well because it is by a Japanese Catholic about Portuguese Catholic missionaries to Japan in the 1600s and he like he really does a good job I think of like sort of capturing like the priest's good intentions, but then also like, like just how oblivious they are to like the racism and like the prejudices that they have against the Japanese. Um, but then like, it's interesting because the characters will have these like moments of clarity where it's like, they realize that they like are thinking the wrong way and like, they're not like embodying Christ with their thoughts, but then like, they'll say something terrible, like a little bit later. So it's, it's really interesting. It's a really good book so far. Um, but yeah, it's also a movie that was directed by Morton Scorsese with Adam Driver and Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield. And I did something I never do when I watched the movie before I read the book. Um, and I watched it a couple years ago. But it was a really good movie, too. Both of those sound like really cool pieces. I definitely want to read 
the second book that you were talking about but the first one also sounds very interesting is it like a cop is the art and faith like a coffee table book with like art pieces in and like a description or is it like a book that's book? a good question it's um a book book there's no pictures in it um but the cover is actually one of his paintings and like i've looked up his paintings before and they're they're beautiful like he takes years to um create them because it takes so long for the paint to dry and he also makes pottery using this japanese method called kintsugi where like a a dish will be broken in some way and then mended back together with gold and it creates like a different kind of piece and he uses that as an analogy for like how god mends us and makes us whole again in that like in this broken world and like our wounds and the ways that we are fractured like god is consistently making us whole and making beauty out of the bad things that happen to us um so that that was a really cool analogy that he portrays wow that sounds really really good um yeah wait so you said your dad got it for your entire family yeah because like um he's like all my kids are artists and and so so yeah and he loves makoto like he talks about makoto all the time um and and I love that he likes Makoto because Makoto writes about some of my favorite writers so it's convinced my it's allowed me to be like hey dad you should read Flannery O'Connor because like Makoto likes Flannery O'Connor and like um you should read Frederick Beekner because like Makoto talks about Frederick Beekner um so yeah he's a good writer well I'll definitely check those out so our second segment, we're going to be talking about the basics of white saviorism. And I first want to give a definition of what white saviorism is. So I, <laughs> Urban Dictionary, I actually looked at Merriam-Webster and it's not in the dictionary. So I was like, okay, what's the second best choice? And of course, it was <laughs> Urban Dictionary. <laughs> so it is described as, and I quote, white saviorism white saviorism is described as white people going to fix the problems of struggling nations or people of color without understanding their history needs or the region's current state of affairs. Mm. Yeah. Um, Urban dictionary coming in clutch, but I think it, there's, I, I think there's to some extent the fact that like, someone from the United States will, like, never understand the totality of what, like, growing up in a developing country would be like, or, like, you know, so, like, the second part of that is without understanding, and I think it would be easy to be like, oh, well, like, if you do your research, you know, then, then you're not, like, buying into this idea, but I, I think, to some extent, like, you've just got to accept also that, like, you'll never understand. So you've got to think about, like, do you view yourself as fixing the situation? Or do you view yourself as, like, as not fixing, but, like, helping to provide resources to people who are going to, like, out of their own agency, decide their future? I, like, I, I think it's mm-hmm. a control aspect. Like, don't you agree? Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of, like, I was working on this group project, and part of the group project was to go do a form of service. And my professor said, do not tell them what you want to do. Ask them what they Mm. need. Uh, 
And to me, that spoke volumes because a lot of time it just reminded me of this, like a lot of times, like even within the United States, people go to certain places or certain neighborhoods like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Like and one example is gentrification. Like nobody asked you to come and make the prices of housing 10 times more expensive. Um, there's a difference between restoration and gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it kind of reminded me of. What about you, Kaylee? Yeah, the like gentrification especially, I think, is such a great example of this because, like, because it it that is so selfish. Like, it it immediately there's something practical that happens where it's like the prices of of houses go up, um, and and like especially in like a city like Chicago where there's no rent controlled. Uh, like buildings at all like rent control is illegal in the city of Chicago um it like you see gentrification all the time and like I I live in a pretty gentrified area too um but it's like it it there's nothing like there's no place in Chicago where you can be like oh like you know this will be cheap housing (laughs) like and and that's part of the reason like there's so many homeless people in Chicago is because there's no like public housing. There's no like rent controlled housing. Um, So the prices just keep going up even during the pandemic. Yeah. And the other thing is I saw, I know I talk about this literally every episode, TikTok. I'm obsessed, but I saw this TikTok and it was just, it just made me so angry because it was of someone asked a question, like how come like, I think the city was either like San Francisco or Los Angeles. I can't remember which one, but the person had asked this TikToker, like you live in like the heart of the city. How come you don't see any homeless people? And someone replied because the people moving into these areas, into these expensive buildings are complaining about seeing homeless people. How are you going to come into someone's home and then complain that you see people in that area who were there first? It you know that is that is something that I like I really had to confront to when I moved here because like in the neighborhood where I live there's a lot of people who like sit on the sidewalk and ask for money um and at first like it would it would stress me out because I was like do I give people money and there's like you know there's so many opinions on the internet about what you should do like do you give someone a gift card do you offer to buy them food do you give them cash do you not give them cash cuz it's like cuz everyone's like oh don't just give people money cuz if they use it for addiction like but wait <laughs> that reminds me of this i'm sorry to interrupt but it just reminds me of this thing someone tweeted like well like why aren't you going like i don't want to give them money cuz they're going to use it on drugs and then someone said that's what you use it on <laughs> you use it on drugs like you use it Right. Are you going to judge somebody? Let people, like, just right. give it to them without having to say, like, oh, they have to spend it on this. But you're literally going to spend you buying marijuana or you buying whatever yeah. legally. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you're and one to talk. He was like, I, I give people cash if I have cash because, like, it, it's a human agency thing. Like, it's kind of patronizing and condescending to be like, can I buy you food? Like, not, you know, like, they can pick what they want to buy it with if you give them cash or, like, or where they want to spend it or when they want to spend it. And, like, and, yeah, I, but anyway, all that to say, like, 
it was stressing me out when I first moved here. And then I thought about it and I'm like, it is not wrong or illegal to ask somebody for money. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with asking someone for money. Like it's not like it like no one has ever like made me feel like they were going to hurt me if I didn't give them money. Like I've never been in a situation like that. Everyone has asked and like someone cussed me out once when I said that I like no at one point, but like I never felt like I was actually like in danger. Um it but it's like like people don't even want to see homeless people. That's the thing. Like you said, like they were like moving into this area and they're like they don't even want to see homeless people because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And it's like what it there's nothing wrong with not owning a home or not you know, that doesn't make someone a criminal for being poor. Like <laughs> where where are these people gonna go? It, like there's not yeah, but Yeah, but this kind of leads into our what we wanted to talk about today was examples of examples of white saviorism that we have seen portrayed in the media. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit at the end, like examples we've seen in person, um, in real life, such as gentrification. Um, but what movie do you want to start off first, Kaylee? Have you seen all of the films that are listed here or which one? I'll let you start. Um, first. I haven't seen freedom writers or green book. Um, but I have seen The Help and The Blind Side and Hidden Figures. Um, like, yeah, The Help is especially, The Help, I think, like, is relevant, is very relevant to today because there are definitely a lot of white writers who capitalize on being, like, the not racist white person or like trying to like take the stories of people of color and then like sell it as their own um and so I I think the help is is really relevant for that because that's the whole plot is this white girl who like isn't racist like the other people she's around she you know sees (laughs) sees human beings as human beings which is like not radical like that and the thing is, she thought she was so much better because she was complacent. Like, you didn't, you did, she was complicit. You didn't do anything. You just sat there when people were saying these horrible, terrible things. And then beside, behind the scenes, you're like, yeah, like, come over and we'll, like, give me your notes and we'll type this up, blah, blah, blah. And for me, I was just like, you, it came across as though she felt that these women were helpless without her. Yeah. When in reality, they were not helpless. They were hardworking women who were trying to make a living for their families and the fact that like she was like here like I'll write this book and blah 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 and it just I don't know it just didn't sit right with me and this girl I I can't remember I read this article Eater. oh and- you're talking mm-hmm. oh, oh. oh yes Skeeter it was it will it was about um in general like these types of movies she said she said whenever um, she said that she's hesitant. Let me say this like this. She said it was a black girl said this. She said that if a white woman came up to her, and she's like, oh, my God, this movie was so great. And like it was about something like the help. She's very hesitant to watch it because a lot of times it's, it's a movie that makes 
them feel better about them themselves and when she wrote that I was like oh that's that's interesting I like I never thought about it from that perspective and I think like in the help like Skeeter like I'd have I felt like Skeeter's life was in shambles compared to everybody else's. She, you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you seen it in a while? Yeah. Yeah. And she, like, and right, people identify as Skeeter when they watch that movie, not as the women who are being blatantly rude and oblivious. Disrespected. Yeah. And. And. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You can go. And this is one thing about the film. I do not know why Netflix decided to add this to Netflix in June when yeah. during the um, Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, it's still going on, but I mean, um, in June when we were all protesting and you guys were buying books on how to be anti-racist, like, why did you think that was the perfect time to add the help? Because, right, yeah, it makes people feel better about themselves because they're like, oh, I'm not. I'm not like Jessica Chastain. I'm like Emma Stone. And that's, (laughs) it should never be a comparison to other white people. It should. And I think, well, I know that's why so many white people our age love to talk about their racist white uncles or their racist grandparents, because for one thing, it like, it distances themselves and it makes them feel better because they're like, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as my family. And it should never be like, racism is bad it should never have happened that is the starting point like that is not a radical transgressive view to have that like that it is all terrible and people should be seen as people like that that seems like ground zero so anything the bare minimum bare minimum anything beyond that is wrong (laughs) so like it's not like oh you know i just I murdered someone, but I didn't eat their flesh. I'm not a cannibal. Like, what? Like, where? It is all bad. It is, that is, it is blatantly wrong. Like, there, you do, you are not a better person because you didn't eat the person you killed. You're still a murderer. Like, it, I, when you have these levels of comparison, like, well, I'm not that right. Ra- like, you should, you should be seeing what you can do better. Like, that should always be the goal and especially with art when it comes to writing it's like if the goal is to make black people the center of the narrative then do that don't make white people who see black people as people the center of the narrative make black people (laughs) the center of the narrative why is that so hard for like the media to do like to just but yeah yeah but this leads us into the second one. You were saying that you hadn't seen the Freedom Riders or Green Book. I had not seen Green Book, but I got the general gist. So we probably won't talk about that one today. But the blind side. Um, I know. I know. People love this movie. But the thing is, like, all those, some of these, like, the blind side and hen figures and Freedom Riders are all based off of, re- and Green Book are all based off of, actual things that happened when it is put into the media a lot of things are changed so Michael Orr who is the football player who this is like actually about his story even came forward and said like they changed stuff in this movie to make it fit better with Hollywood's how Hollywood thought that it should look like and pretty much if you haven't seen that movie 
um, it's about this black kid and this white woman sees him one day, like walking down the street and he's, she's like, who is that? Like, blah, blah, blah. Pretty much. She is this rich white woman who has like a picture perfect family and they live in Mississippi. So she pretty much, they make it look like she's the savior. Like without him, he wouldn't have become who he is. But like, although like everything happens for a reason in the movie, like, they get him involved in football um, and they get him a scholarship to an SEC school and then later to the NFL. And um, I don't know, like every time I know people said they love this movie, but when I was watching it for the first time, I said, this is not sitting right with me. <laughs> it just is not. It just did not sit right in my spirit. And I don't know about you, Kaylee, but it just was not my just not something that I enjoyed. Like, it was just like, oh, like, we gave this kid clothing. We gave this kid, like, he wouldn't have been who he is without me. Like, I, like it was like the mother who was the star of the show. She's the one who got him into football. Like, it was just interesting. Like, the whole reason that this is what got me. Like, yes, he, the boy, he needed help in school but it wasn't that they got him the help because he was struggling in school they gave him the help because he wasn't going to be getting in he wasn't going to get into one of those sec schools if he didn't have the scores like it was it felt as almost it felt as though that they were helping him so that they could look better and that they could i just felt like he chose this school and he chose this because it was like what the family wanted. You know what I mean? Did you see that, Kaylee? Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And, like, how come people didn't ask, like, oh, this is crazy that the only way that this student could afford college is if he, you know, like, gave them his body for <laughs> four years and played football for them. And, like, that is, yeah, the whole, like, that whole movie is such a great example of how, like, um, how people like use especially like men of color's bodies for sports and for entertainment like that is literally like the Colosseum in Rome like that is that's another that's a whole nother episode yeah. we cannot get into that today because I have a lot to say on that and I do not I mean neither of us Kaylee and I if you want to learn something new about us we both hate football I don't I think most people know that like <laughs> I hate football and it's not because it's just it's for multiple reasons and this is one of the reasons <laughs> Kaylee go on I'm sorry yeah, that, that, that's pretty much the whole thing like I yeah and and the fact that like like especially a sport where the players have to hit their head repeatedly and so many like retired NFL players have like serious mental health issues end up like being suicidal or violent or like depressed and and a lot of like a lot of people don't know this but like a lot of professional sports players end up destitute at the end of their lives because like they're young when they start making a lot of money and they're like kind of pushed into this like spending like irresponsible lifestyle and so then they're like high rolling like spending money like crazy and then when they stop making money because they can only feasibly play sports until they're like in their 30s definitely not their 40s like a lot of them don't have the like mental capacity to like 
budget their money well or to get into a different career. Like, so, you know, even if you look at the sport, like just purely for the player's sake, it's not good for the players. Um, And that's not even to speak of like all of the sexism and like racism and the fact that like the industry of football is like tied to sex trafficking a lot with like huge games and, and riots and like, it's just, yeah. It, 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 but even if you just look at the players, there's it is not worth people being mildly entertained. People can read a book. Like, I am sorry, but I <laughs> I do not care about middle aged men's entertainment as much as I care about like sex trafficking and, and you know and abuse and relationship abuse and and children being forced to play sports because their parents want to live vicariously through them. And so then they have to sacrifice their physical and mental abilities. Like, but like, Oh, it's, it's fun. It connects people. If everyone read books, we would have something to talk about. You know, like if everyone was like, Oh, like, Hey, did you read Proust's remembrance of things past? That was a banger, right? Like, could you imagine if that was like what people talked about instead of like watching football games? Like, you know, and no one has to get hurt for that. No one has to hit their head repeatedly. Nobody has to, like, like spend millions of dollars for you to read a book. I just, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all. I feel that. I, I, I felt everything you just said. Um, yeah, but this kind of leads into, like, the third movie we're going to talk about, which is Hidden Figures. And I read the book before I saw the movie and the book had was just about the hidden figures and about their life and about their jobs. It was not focusing on the, like the, the Hollywood aspect that, um, that, that while they were working, like, Oh, like they were just, let me give you the example that rubbed me the wrong way in hidden figures. And then I'll explain a little bit how this is different from the book because the book just explained the facts of what happened and just about their lives and their work. Where as in the movie, um, the white savior trope is part of the movie by this example. So Kevin Costers plays like one of the, um, like her um, Catherine Johnson's boss. And throughout the movie, she's running back and forth from, the outside of campus to her work because there's no bathroom for black women. Um, so then in the movie, he's like, I'm, he's like, why are you never here? Blah, blah, blah. And he, he's like, because there's no bathroom. So he gets his hammer and he takes down the whites only sign in the bathroom for the women, for the um, women's bathroom. And he's like, we pee, we all pee the same color. Like he made, they made it seem like, she wasn't doing anything if he wouldn't have tore down that bathroom sign. Like, she wasn't doing it a spectacular job already. And I just, the fact that he's like, he, that, that when he said that, we all pee the same color and tore down the sign and they're all clapping. I'm like, what is this? Like, no, duh. what is this? <laughs> the, <laughs> the but I still, it never was, been up is the thing. Like, right. Like, people are like, oh, what a momentous act and it it wasn't even because it wasn't even because he thought it was genuinely wrong it was because it was interfering with his productivity right right yeah 
Yeah. He's like, where is she? Where is she? Because he wanted to ask her a question. And then <laughs> when she wasn't there because she was walking 20 minutes to the bathroom, then he's like, oh, that's the last straw. I got to tear down this sign now. Yeah. And it's like, did did they address the fact that she probably got paid way less than like that too? Than the white women, let alone the white men. Like, but he, at least he took down the sign. So she could be productive for like that her <laughs> wage that she was getting paid. Like, yeah. Yes. Fun fact, actually, my um, BB, you guys know her. She was Catherine Johnson's daughter. My grandma taught her. She was her English teacher. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and I went to, I went to an event before the world closed down. I went to um, a luncheon for. Um, Ham- Hampton um, University and that's where actually like that's where it takes the movie takes place like right in Virginia like outside um, of that area and um, my grandma saw her again after all those years I mean the daughter I can't remember what she said the daughter's name was but I just thought that was cool like that is cool you... man just fun fact <laughs> BB's done everything like I know I know <laughs> I wish I could be as cool as her. <laughs> you you are, Ariana. You're by the time you're in your seventies and eighties, like I'm sure you'll have a ton of stories like that. I hope so. I hope so. But the actually you didn't the next one was Freedom Writers, and I'll just give you a quick summary of what this was about. So pretty much it is about a white teacher who works in a high school that consists of a majority um of students of color and the movie just consisted of so many stereotypes so pretty much she goes to this to the school because she's passionate about passionate about teaching and she goes in there to change lives and then she makes them all good people and smiling by having them write in journals and she can understand their struggles and I'll give you an example of so there's this photo, this meme of Freedom Writers, and it's like a picture of the cast and the white teacher. And it's like a nice, and I quote, a nice white lady saving the world one ghetto school at a time. And I was like, that's literally what the plot was. Like, it, it's not that, just by giving them notebooks. Like, schools need resources. It's not just things just don't magically change overnight by handing someone a journal and having them write personal stories in it and smiling about it. Right. And it like, it doesn't give like credit to all of the amazing teachers who work in low income areas who are not white. <laughs> like, and, and it's not that they didn't, you know, give the students a journal and that's all they needed. Like it, you know, it's a lack of resources. That's what makes the difference with education. It's not that like schools in the suburbs, like they give them journals and time to reflect and that makes it the difference. It's like, it is a lack of resources and, and that makes a huge difference in education. Yes. And it was so stereotypical. Like it, they made it seem like these students didn't care about school or anything like that. When people actually have real struggles that prohibits them from focusing completely on the schoolwork and they're like why aren't you turning this in like it's not just because you think that the students don't care 
people have real issues going on and handing them a journal and like, oh my God, like this is going to be great. Like I just felt like it just glossed over the whole, like this could have been a learning opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) And it just glossed over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I probably won't watch it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, you're not going to, you're not missing anything, honestly. Um, But the one thing that this reminded me of, we were talking about this before, was um, with the blind side in the movie Instant Family. It's about them adopting children. Um, but when they're adopting children, um, they work with other families who also want to adopt. And it was this lady who had like the whole white savior complex. And it was a joke in the movie because everyone was looking at her like, what are you talking about? Because she said, I, it was this white lady. She's like, I want to adopt um, um, a black child who's in high school, who's athletically inclined, who likes football, and then he wants to go play college football and then be in the NFL. And someone was like, are you describing the plot of the blind side? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And at the end of the movie, she actually, she gets, um, she ends up getting this skinny white kid with red hair. And she's like, oh my God, like, She's like, do you play football? And I was just like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. But that, that was just something that happened. Hmm. And everyone was like, my thing was, if you saw that this lady was obviously targeting one specific demographic, she should have been cut out of the pool for adoption anyway. Like, Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Should, like, for nobody. Should, would it be a good parent for anybody if that was what she was looking for. I just find it so very weird when people are like you know what I'm going to adopt a specific type of child like I'm going to adopt a black I want to adopt a black child or I want to adopt an Asian child like I I don't know like I I just I don't know it just kind of rubs me the wrong way and like sometimes it's like fetishized or you know what I mean it's just the white I get the white savior complex like if you want to adopt a child I, I fully support adoption but do it for the right reason and not wanting to make yourself look better. Right. Yeah. And, and like we were talking about earlier too, like if you're like, if you're asking for a child of a specific race, I think it's also an element of like saying you want a child of a specific gender. Like it's an element of control where you really think that you're going to be able to control your child and they're going to do whatever you want. And, like, I mean, every parent who's actually been a parent knows that that's not true. Like, you don't decide who your kid's going to be, no matter how strict or restrictive that you are. Like, your child is going to have their own personality. And, like, in all, like when you're, like, saying you want a child of a specific race or of a specific gender or you want them to play this sport, like, you're denying their own agency in, in who they are. And that's like really really toxic yes and I was just like when in that movie Instant Family I highly recommend go going to watch it it's it's like a comedy but um yeah when she was like yeah like I it was just like I want a black child who's athletic it plays like they should have cut her out right then like obviously you are not (laughs) you did not pass the screening adoption was not meant for you ma'am like it was just I don't know. A lot of times, like, it's just fetishized with, like, 
for example, like people going overseas to the continent of Africa or going to the continent of Asia, like to adopt children and then bring them back and don't even incorporate their original culture. Yeah. And it's like, I just want to know like the back, like the reason, like, why is it that you feel like, like you, like not adopting in general, but like when someone's like, you know what? I want to adopt a child from a country in Africa. Like, why is that? I genuinely want to know because a lot of times like I see this and like I'll give you an example someone's like they adopted and they didn't even really acknowledge that the child was black and that they would have a different experience growing up in the town that they lived in and that they would like have to actually address those and like one thing is like with like black hair like you need to actually learn how to take care of if the child is different than you or comes from a different background you need to learn how to take care of that person you know what I mean right yeah but yeah but our next segment we're gonna go into real life examples and that I kind of got into that already um with you know adopt like actively going to adopt a specific type of child so that you can look better. Um, and this also goes into the gentrification. I said uh, we had a note down here saying going into low-income areas or countries to serve and take pictures with uh, black or brown children so that they feel better about themselves. And I, I don't know. I, I don't – I do not – like, genuinely, like, ask what people need. Don't go in and do what you want to do. Cause that's not, that's not helping. I don't know. What, what are you, what is your opinion on this Kaylee? Yeah. On real life example, examples of, um, white saviorism. Yeah, I agree. Um, one, one example with that is like, you know, like with, with programs that even send, um, like people in to help, like in schools or in like social work organizations and like they bring their own curriculum and their own framework instead of asking like, how can we help the teachers here? How can we like be an asset and not just kind of like force our own framework into this school? Um, I think it's really important that, that programs that want to like be community focused, like listen to the needs of the community. Just like, if you want to be a teacher, you should ask your students like what motivates them? What do they want to learn about? What like, because those things are important for like how you get students involved and how you teach them and how you like eliminate extraneous load and like help increase germane load, how you help them make connections. Like those are, it's really important to know what your students want and like it, it, it like decreases that hierarchy too. Yeah. And I think the main point of this episode is just kind of to show that um it genuinely help people out of the like genuinely help people because you genuinely want to help someone not because you want to make yourself look better and when you're going into different communities whether it's in the United States or outside the United States don't go in with the mindset that your view is better than someone else's and that they need to, 
I feel like that's also a sense of like ethnocentrism, like, oh, my way is better than your way. Like it has to be my way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah. But and you got you kinda gotta be careful with that too, like when you're going on mission trips and you're just some people are not there for the right reasons going for photo shoots and then posting it on Instagram and then I see it and I'm just like oh my gosh yeah I feel like people should never post pictures of kids on the internet I think even that too I think even if it's your own child but that's a little bit that's definitely different even if it is if if it's your own child that's different but I feel like it's a huge invasion of privacy because, like, a baby cannot say no. They don't want to be on the internet. And then they will grow up and and forever be on the internet. And same with, like, a seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds. Like, they don't know what they're missing. Like, I think it's something interesting about our generation, Ariana. I feel like we were kind of the last generation to grow up without our baby pictures on the internet. Because our parents weren't tech-savvy enough to do that. <laughs> Like, they didn't put pictures of us, like, as children growing up on the internet. And now it's like I see young moms put, like, pictures of their kids on the internet all the time. And it's like... Well, and I a lot of times, like, when I see those pictures online, like, some people, influencers, make their, make their own Instagram accounts for their children and profit off of it. I think that yeah. is so gross. Like, you make these Instagram pages... As if you're the child and posting all these baby pictures, like they like you, the child can't say they don't want those pictures up there. And then I also think that's dangerous because there's creeps out on the internet, and then right. you just have their pictures all out there, right? And then, and it's even worse when it's not your kid because it's like you're not invested in protecting their privacy at all, or like like you're making them look like someone needy that you're helping. So that's like a million times worse. And especially if you're never going to see them again, they can't tell you one day, hey, like, could you take that picture of me down? Like, no, because they're one dimensional character to you. And that's really messed up. Yeah, it's like you're the main character and they're just a sub character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, we, I definitely enjoyed recording this episode. I don't know about you, Kaylee. Um and you brought up some great points. Um, yeah, I think this next generation of parents are going to be a lot different. Um, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. For-